This is Women Blazers, and I'm your host, Deanna Witter. I'm excited to have Crystal Hogan as our featured guest for this episode. Crystal serves as the Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for the LA Clippers of the NBA. Crystal shares her incredible journey, breaking into the sports industry and growing into the leader she is today. She pursued her curiosities, displayed perseverance and patience, and has been surrounded by leaders who have championed her growth throughout her career, and now she leads a life at one point she couldn't even imagine. I want to take a moment to thank Turnkey ZRG for supporting Women Blazers. Turnkey ZRG is a top talent search firm in sports, entertainment, and media. We appreciate Turnkey's role in advancing gender equity in our industry. I was also patient, and you really don't hear that a lot. Um, I wasn't like begging for promotions or like, look at me, I did a good job this year, what's next? Um, I think that patience and really trying to grow in each role and do the best that I can at that role. And even if I had a successful year, trying to show some consistency and replicate that, those things were important to me. So Crystal, I would love for you to share with us your college experience. I saw that you went to Georgia State University to start off, and then you finished at University of Georgia um, with a marketing degree. So just curious, like what motivated that transition in schools um, during that period? Yeah, I felt like um, I was probably two different people, uh, one person at Georgia State and another person at the University of Georgia. I remember when I was deciding what college I wanted to attend, um, we would always go to Atlanta as a family and Atlanta was like the big city and like what you wanted to do, grow up, get out of the house and move to Atlanta. And um, that's where I found uh, Georgia State. And they had these uh, newer uh, dorms um, that were built during the, when the Olympics was hosted in Atlanta. And so we'd always drive past and, and I just felt like that's going to be my, my college home. Like I'm, I'm going to live in those dorms, which weren't on campus. Campus was actually like downtown, but it was, it was just a big deal and exciting to, to go to the city. And I think when I got there, it actually wasn't as exciting as I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, having to ride the MARTA every day uh, to school and, and you couldn't just kind of like get up like a normal college student and just like, you know, run over to class last minute. Um, everything was like planned. And, and anytime you would meet people, um, no one lived close because Atlanta's pretty big and there yeah. weren't. Yeah, it was not like a, a campus feel. And so um, it was a commuter school. And I just, I wasn't passionate about it. it wasn't My major at the time was was biology. And um, I thought that was a great idea and still, until I started taking some college biology classes. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know if my passion for pediatrician, being a pediatrician, is, it's still there. And so I wanted that college feel. And so I applied after my second year to transfer to UGA. And, and that was my home. Um, I love football, huge college football fan. Um, UGA had that, the resources that they had, the, the large class sizes, the student learning center. It's just like everyone was always like available and on campus. And, and you really got that, that experience. And that, that changed me. And at that time, I was like, I, I want to go into business. And so 
I applied for the um, the Terry uh, Business School and marketing was my major. And I feel like everybody almost that comes out of college is like, I'm going to be in marketing, but you don't really know what that means like, <laughs> <laughs> or like how to get there. Um, and so uh, I, my brother uh, was five years older. It took him a really long time about after he graduated to find a job. And so I started going to the career fairs and um, I think that's what kind of really decided what I was going to do next versus like finding something in marketing. Cause I didn't know what that means. It was like, okay, I'll find a job at the, at the career fair and, and that'll be my career. Um, and so I was able to find something about nine months before I graduated, but I was, I was just definitely a different person and had different priorities at UGA um, than when I was at Georgia state. No, that's, that's great. And I, I know it's probably, you know, challenging and thinking through sort of the hurdle of changing schools and doing thing, you know, doing everything that it takes to make that transition. But it sounds like it was just the best decision for you. That's incredible. And then you obviously discovered marketing as a potential. Was there a job in mind before going to those career fairs that you sort of had your eye on when you when you started to look at marketing as a path? No, I, I, I think back on that time and I was so clueless. Like I literally <laughs> had no clue of like what I was doing or where I was going. Like, and I even always say that I would envy um, reps who start inside sales outside of college because I, I didn't even know that was a thing um, as I was kind of going through college, like a, a career in sports or um, so I, I, I interviewed, I remember with E&J Gallo and I was like, oh, working uh, for a wine company would be great. <laughs> um, and uh, I had also, I think, applied for a job with like Black & Decker, which is very odd. And, and then I ended up getting the job with, um, with Autria Group, Philip Morris USA. And I, I just, I had no clue even what those jobs meant or what I'd be doing. I, now that I think about it, it was all sales. Um, so it had nothing to do with marketing, but I was so clueless. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you, to your point, yeah, you, you graduated and you, you weren't obviously, you know, right off on that sports path, you know, you, to your point, you, you had these other opportunities that you explored, you know, what did you learn from that experience um, before you got into sports and those, those other, um, those other marketing roles that were basically sales? <laughs> yeah, I would say my first role, I just learned how to be a professional. <laughs> that was probably like the hardest part that I remember at the start of, of my sales career, I'd be like crushing Red Bulls, uh, like eight or nine in the morning. And, and <laughs> I'm crushing crashing. a Red Bull right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's sugar free. Um, uh, because I was not drinking sugar free and I would crash at like 2 PM. <laughs> um, but no, I think I really just learned how to be a professional and what that meant and, and really kind of like work ethic and integrity. Those things are important because I was in an outside sales job. So I didn't have to go into the office every day. And um, I, you have that autonomy and you have to be responsible um, in order to kind of have that type of autonomy. And so those are some things that, that I really learned. And especially at, at Philip Morris, I would say when I transitioned to pharmaceutical sales, um, I, I really kind of gained, I would say, this sense of entitlement around being happy. Um, I liked the role. Um, but I, I do believe that people leave people and I don't feel like I was being uh, grown or developed um, in the role that I was in. And I was just like, it's too short to be happy. And I think when that when that really came about was there was a guy there who was like the number one salesperson um, in like Florida and he left and we were all like, wow, like, you know, 
doing something you're passionate about and being happy really matters. Like it's, it's not about making the most money. It's really about where you're being grown and challenged and, um, and, and you can kind of invoke some change. Like those are the things that are important. Yeah, that's great. And what a, you know, what a great lesson to, to learn, you know, early on in your career that would set you, you know, sort of forward in your path as you proceeded. So in 2011, you get your, you get your sports break-in opportunity with the San Diego Padres on their inside sales team. So, you know, what motivated this move and, you know, how did you, I don't know, how'd you get, how'd you get the role? Like, how did you land this position? Um, I honestly think I was crazy if I'm telling you the truth if I was back on it. I left a full-time job with a great salary and great bonuses, benefits, um, to go to inside sales where it was full-time hours, part-time pay, no benefits, eight programs, so nothing is is promised to you. And I look back on that and I don't even know me myself now could could do that. Like I, I couldn't do that now. Um, I don't even believe sometimes that I did it then. It's like, gosh, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it all came down to I was I was in the role um with with Shire and um I just wasn't happy. Like I wasn't I wasn't happy. Um uh, I loved selling. I, I think that was really fun and challenging and, and offered that competitive spirit. Um, that I enjoy, but I, I just, I wasn't happy kind of where I was and the people that I was working with. And so I was just like, Hey, I want to get in sports. I don't know what this means. Um, I don't even remember applying for the job for the Padres. Like I don't remember that at all um, happening. And so then Jason Green, our, our my current CTO uh, for uh, the LA Clippers, he was just a, um, like a premium sales rep at the time calling to do a screening call. And I remember talking to him on the phone and, and it went well. And uh, then he was like, Hey, I want you to talk to our inside sales manager. And I was just like, I don't even know if I should do this. Like, I'm, I'm not going to move. Like, this is crazy. Um, I talk, I remember talking to my brother about it and he was like, Hey, like, you know, they had offered me to come out for an interview. He's like, well, don't go if you're not going to take it. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And, and then my boyfriend, um, he was like, no, let's go. Like, let's go. You've never been to San Diego. And I think he tricked me. Like, he was like, let's just go on vacation. We're going to go to the zoo and all this kind of stuff. We've never been to California. I was like, yeah, great. So, like, we're there for, like, a few days. And the interview was, like, the last day. And I I think it went well because I swear to you, I, I just didn't take it seriously. Like, I, I was just like, hey, I'm going to go in and put my best foot forward here. But, like, I wasn't truly invested. And so um, the next day I got the call and they offered me the job. <laughs> and I I cried all the way back home. <laughs> because it was real at that point. It was like, oh, right. you do have to take this seriously now. Oh, you do have to make a decision if you actually want to move across the country and leave your friends and family. It, it was real at that point. <laughs> What's really cool is that, you know, to your point, like you went into this interview sort of with a, it's okay if I don't get it. Like you're not so invested about this opportunity at first. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they saw something in you um, and probably because you presented maybe a very authentic version of yourself, not like a polished interviewed person, which is what we we want. You know, I think 
and that you know this, you know, now in your current role and the roles you've had, you know, leading since then, but you know, there's something about somebody being authentic and being personable and being real. Um, it really helps reflect like how you'll be, you know, interacting with fans and clients and this engagement piece. So you clearly shine through, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and then it's interesting too, because to your point, you had four years of sales experience behind you and you had this great full-time position. Here's this opportunity that's in front of you. That's not guaranteed that, you know, it's going to be beyond sort of this eight to 12 month program. So what, how did you, how did you land on, okay, I'm taking this role. Like I want to move from, you know, from Georgia to, to San Diego, California. Yeah. I, um, so my dad is, is retired air force. And so I, he didn't move around a lot when I was younger, but they moved around more. Um, uh, when I was born in Italy. And then after that, um, probably about a few months after I was born, he ended up going into the reserve and, and moving to Georgia. And so that's where I grew up, but just kind of hearing a lot from them about uh, moving to different places and living in different places. Like I was, I was intrigued by that. And as I, when I was younger, I would always tell my parents, like, I can't wait to get old. I'm going to grow up and I'm moving to New York. Like I would always <laughs> tell them that. Um, and I realized that New York was a little too busy for this Southern girl. <laughs> but when I was thinking about it, I was excited. I had, I had moved to Nashville right out of college. Um, because as I said, I got my job like nine months before I graduated. So I moved to Nashville. I'd moved back to Georgia, but still it was, it was really in me to, to travel and, and to live somewhere else. And I really believed in starting in inside sales that I would be able to start a career in sports. Whereas everything else was just a job. And that was really important to me, especially, you know, being 26 years old at the time, like I, I wanted a career. And so I think all of those things were taken in consideration when I decided to, to make the move. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. And that's great. And yeah, I, I you know, I always find there's so much value in, in moving, you know, there's obviously mm -hmm. new markets and new things to discover. Um, it allows you to unlock I don't know, new things about yourself that you probably never knew that you would you would discover until you made a move, um, whether it be organizations or places, you know, so I'm I'm a big I'm a big uh, believer that moving is healthy <laughs> and good. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So the whole inside sales eight to 12 month thing was no, nothing for you because you moved up you know, through the sales service team um, quickly. And you actually took, you know, some new elevated roles every couple of years at the Padres. Um, what was your approach to learning and growing um, into that? You know, I think you were the senior manager suite and premium services there toward the end of your time, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, at the time I had a, a pretty good leader. Um, our, my director at the time, um, her name was Cindy Shug. And uh, I think she, she really helped me grow a lot in that role of just kind of being curious. And I, I think that's where I kind of started that. Like with her, I always wanted to know kind of like what the plan was, the strategy. I was that rep that always wanted to know why. <laughs> and I think that really kind of helped me excel in my career. It's just like I never liked being told what to do. I remember when I was a, a um, service rep. And we had these touch point plans and, you know, they would tell us what we needed to do to get the touch. Points. And I remember going into my, my boss's Cindy's office and I was like, can I create my own plan? Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't want you telling me where I got to go and what I need to do. And I've, I've just always been kind of curious of, of why these decisions were made. And like, um, I wasn't that person you could tell me like, okay, we're doing this. And I just wanted to understand not to 
to be difficult. It was it was just really to kind of help me. And I think that's what kind of landed me in in that senior manager role. Um, it's just because I, I maintained a curiosity, a healthy curiosity about the business and really trying to learn and grow. I was also patient and you really don't hear that a lot. Um, I wasn't like begging for promotions or like, look at me, I did a good job this year, what's next? Um, I think that patience and really trying to grow in each role and do the best that I can at that role. And even if I had a successful year, trying to show some consistency and replicate that, those things were important to me. And and so learning just that your work ethic is so important and people are always like, well, how did you move up and what did you do? And, you know, who'd you have to talk to? It's like, no, you control that. Like if, if you put in the effort every day, you work hard and, you know, you're, it's not just like six months and then you're like, what's next? Um, right. And every year you're willing to, to really kind of dive into, into that skill and, and try to grow and, and develop, then, then you'll be successful. And so I, I think the patience that I learned um, was really important. And, and then just being very curious um, all the time about all aspects of the business. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's great. And I like, I like your, you know, obviously, you know, following those curiosities, asking why is so important. Um, it allows you to continue to build up opportunities to lead and take leadership opportunities on, uh, around your own position as you, is your great example that you shared. Um, right. It also informs your leader that you're somebody who thinks about strategy and has a mindset of, of um, strategic thinking. Um, I think that's, that's awesome. And patience is so, and so important. I'm glad that you brought that up because it's something that we don't talk about often. And I think it's, I don't know your thoughts are here, but it's, it's always one of those things in this industry when you have those conversations, especially, you know, myself in the leadership role and yourself in the leadership role, you get people that walk into your office and ask about, okay, it's been six months or three months on something, you know, what's next. <laughs> Um, but the hard part is there's examples where somebody after six months are getting moves, right? Like early moves. Right. And there's people who take a little bit longer and I don't know, it's like, it's, it's a really challenging conversation sometimes to have because you're right. There are people who are moving fast and there are people who are in a position they have to move a little slower. And I, right. I always think it's not, it's not necessarily the person, right? It's generally the environment you're in. If you're in exactly. an environment where there's been a lot of turnover, a lot of movement, and there's a lot of holes or gaps in opportunity, and you're somebody who can fill that gap um, quickly, great, you know? But if you're somewhere and there's not, you know, um, a lot of gaps or needs, but yet you're ready, then, you know, there's, there's that piece of, okay, you have to be patient and take this time to continue to learn and grow, or you got to look to see if there's a gap at another club or another team that you think that you could fill, you know? So it, it's one of those, those challenging situations that no team wants to lose a, um, a high performing person either. So we, we appreciate patience <laughs> because we want to get through the Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, it's just so important. It's just like a hard thing because I think I have just seen it more lately of just like, you know, all right, it's been six months. <laughs> What's next? I've been doing this consistently for six months or I had one good year and it's like, what's next? And those, it's really hard um, to teach. Uh, and, and even if you tell people, it's like, hey, patience is so important. Um, it's, I guess it's really hard for people to, to just, you know, show patience in, in situations. But if you can do that, and if that's something that you can work on to your point, like, I, I really just think it's, it's going to make you more successful. Yeah, it's going to give you the time to grow and continue to learn other aspects beyond what that moment was for you, for sure. Absolutely.
Now, in 2018, um, you make a move up the coast, uh, up the coast of California to Los Angeles, and you join the LA Clippers, um, where you are now, and you were named the Director of Membership Services. You know, what was it about this opportunity that inspired you to make this move and leave the Padres? Well, if anyone's ever met um, uh, our CTO, Jason Green, he's a great seller. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, no, but really, I think it was the opportunity to build something. Um, You just don't get that often um, enough in your career. And so at that point, um, they were really trying to build out a service and retention team. And to be able to come in and implement your own ideas and strategies and plans, like that was exciting to me. Um, I, I must admit, I, I was nervous because I had I'd just become comfortable. Like San Diego yeah. was all I knew as far as my sports career was concerned. I've been there for seven years. And so, um, you know, when you find yourself getting comfortable, it can be hard to make change. And um, one of the things, um, or one of the reasons why I'm so glad I did make that change is I've just been stretched and pulled and pushed um, and bent in so many different directions. And and I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate uh, being challenged and the challenges um, that I was able to face and, and overcome. Um, and so I, I think that was important for me to, to be able to come and to grow and to be challenged and to be able to implement some of my own ideas and build something from scratch. Yeah, that's that sounds very like motive. Like, of course, like if that opportunity is presented, you, you take it, you know, and it sounds right. like a great opportunity. And, you know, you served in that role for what, just over two and a half years and then was named um, the VP of ticket sales and service in the role mm-hmm. you are now. So um, great opportunity to make a move. Not a lot of women need VP of ticket sales and service, as we know in the NBA or even across our industry. So um, a huge nod to you and congratulations on that move a couple, um, not too long ago. So thank you. you know, you're welcome. You're welcome. How would you so how would you describe your approach from transitioning from overseeing service now to overseeing ticket sales and service, right? Like it's a path that um, you want to see more often, but traditionally you see people coming up, you know, sort of director of ticket sales or premium and taking that role. But you took the service path, which I think is awesome. Yeah, I um, I think it all started uh, with, with Jason. I, I know I probably mentioned him a lot, but he's been very um, just kind of vital to my success over the last three years. And so when I first got there, um, we were having that conversation of like, yeah, like you could totally be a VP one day. And I think that goes back to the, the whole thing that representation matters because I literally never thought about it. I, I never thought about at that point I was I was going to be a director, director of service. Maybe have some kids, get married, you know, that was the plan. <laughs> uh, and so Jason's talking about being a VP. I'm like, you're crazy. Get out of here. And so when it actually happened, um, I was thrilled, um, thrilled uh, for the challenge because I knew that it would be a different challenge for me and um, um, maybe some different skill sets that I would have to, to, to implement there. Um, but I just talked to a lot of people. I reached out um, to some of my mentors and, and really talked to, you know, VPs of, of sales and services teams, uh, directors of new sales, new business. I just talked to a lot of people and really just asked a lot of questions. Um, and, and I still try to do that, um, mm-hmm. whether it be talking to some of our reps at the league or, you know, talking to other women in, in other um, 
like smart sponsorship roles or other revenue driving roles, I'm always just trying to ask questions um, to kind of find out what's working for other people. Um, one of my, my bosses uh, back in the pharmaceutical world would always say, steal shamelessly, you know, because it's really all about execution. And so there's, you don't always have to reinvent the wheel. There's things that you can find and, and people share best practices and you can make it your own, tweak it or implement it as is. And so I just think sharing best practices and, and talking to other people that are, that are in the role or have done what you're, what you're doing, um, throughout that process is, is just very important. That was that was definitely the first thing I had to do was just say like, hey, I don't know everything here. And that was a conversation to some of my leaders. And, you know, I'm going to be leaning on you guys to help me. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be asking some crazy questions um, during this time. But I also think that there is a there's an aspect of seeing it from an outsider view that challenges people who've been doing it for a really long time of like, oh, I, I don't know why we do this. It's just how things have always been done and things like that. So I think ex uh, expressing that vulnerability is important um, and also just really uh, trying to share best practices and, and learn from others. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's great. And, you know, there you go again, just sort of flipping on that, that path of curiosity and utilizing your skills and not being afraid to ask questions and asking why and how. Um, to really continue to build up your your opportunity to to make impact in this role, so I think that's fantastic. You've mentioned um, you mentioned also just having mentors and supporters, you know, in in this position, but you've had them it sounds like throughout your whole career and in your life. And you're right, you did bring up Jason Green again, who's obviously been a big um, part of your career as well. You know, how do you? How do you establish those important relationships? Where does it where does it sort of seed or start? Or is there is there an approach that you take to make sure that you maintain them or grow them, foster them in a way that's beneficial? Yeah, I think just um, staying close, um, asking a lot of questions and um, meeting frequently. Like I'm always like anytime I remember back in the office, we haven't been in the office in like 18 months right now. But when we were in the office, I would just always, you know, try to go in and, and have a conversation with Jason. I'd always be curious of, it, of his thought process. That's just something that happens. Like anytime we have a situation or something, I'm like, okay, so how would you handle this? Or, or why did you approach it this way? Um, and you're able to kind of learn from people in that way. And I don't ever think that I, there was never a conversation where it was like, hey, Jason, will you be my mentor? kind of how I thought it would happen. Like, <laughs> I didn't really realize <laughs> I had all these mentors. That I thought of them as just relationships that I, like, maintained and people that I continue to text with. And um, I, so I, I thought it was an official, like, you know, write a note, like, will you be my mentor type thing? Yeah, like, circle, <laughs> circle yes or no. <laughs> exactly. And that, that wasn't how it happened. I think um, the leader uh, the, the, your mentor and, and their mindset is so important, what type of person they are. Um, because I think, you know, Jason's just a very open person. You ask him something, he's going to give you an answer. Um, and, and so him being open to kind of that relationship and, you know, we'd be in the office and we'd like walk and get lunch and grab lunch and pick up lunch together. Um, and just during that time, being able to have conversations about the business, about people, about culture, um, 
just talking a little bit about everything. We talked a lot about social injustice and um, we were just really able to have an open conversation. And I think him being the type of person that he is made it easy for me um, because I'm just very curious and, and I, I want to know where people stand and, and what they think. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's great. And I love that you have that that relationship and that openness. And that's what that's what make, makes sort of the mentorship, you know, sort of solid. But it's not yeah, it's not an official process like right. it's presented. when people talk about mentorship, you know, you know, it, it, you're right. It presents itself like this, like this very formal, you know, will you be my mentor? I'll be your mentee yeah. sort of relationship. And um, it's actually more informal. Good ones, I think, are more informal um, and sort of happen organically. And a lot of times I think the people that we look up to as mentors probably have no idea that they're considered our mentor until we probably talk about them on a podcast like this. <laughs> <laughs> Jason does not need to listen to this. So, you know. <laughs> when we talk about industry, you know, I, I said earlier, you know, there's not a lot of women in sort of the VP of ticket sales and service roles. And I truly believe maybe because I came up that same path, you know, I truly believe that, you know, one of the greatest opportunities we have to grow women in this industry is through ticket sales and service. Um, it's the entry level positions, you know, we're bringing in classes of students, you know, right out of college into our inside sales programs. You know, what was it about sales and service that you fell in love with? And you know, how, how do you think that we can continue to or create opportunities to inspire other women to explore or apply, apply for these sales positions that seem to be sometimes intimidating or feel less connected to when, as a woman sometimes? Yeah, I would say for me, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a very competitive person. And so being able to compete uh, on a sales level is just like really important to me. Um, I love to talk, <laughs> as you may have noticed uh, during this last hour or so. Uh, but I think connecting with people, engaging with people uh, was something that really came natural. And then so finding something that you're passionate about, which I am passionate about sports, um, it just really came easy and it's fun and it's gratifying and it can be challenging and stressful, all of those things, but you love it because of that. You love the competition. You love, you know, um, you know, the drive and, and the people that you get to meet along the way and the, the leaders that you have that grow and develop you. Um, there's just so much to be gained from learning to sell because I just believe it impacts every part of our life. And, and in some way or another, you're always selling. And so um, I just really thought that, you know, hey, I'm passionate about sports and I enjoy connecting with people and talking to people. And I think I can put those things together and do this in inside sales. So um, that's kind of how I saw myself there uh, with the ambition of wanting to grow a career. I think you make a great point that you don't see a lot of women um, in the in the sales part of the industry. And even when they, I'll, I'll take it another step that when they start in inside sales, a lot of women move more to groups or to service. I'm not sure if you've experienced that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's just so important to, to really educate women on like sales doesn't have to be as scary as we make it out to be. I think um, um, the imposter syndrome kind of comes into play with that too of like, yeah, I may be doing good in inside sales, but am I going to sustain it? Did I get lucky with this sale? You know, all of these things that women uh, experience and really kind of talk themselves out of. And I think we kind of shy away from that 
from sales because I think we we think that it's going to be more challenging for us or even the fact that we only see um, or we majority see males in those roles right. and so feel that maybe we should go to service or, or that we should go to groups because um, representation matters as, as, as I said it definitely does so I think there's there's a lot that needs to be done I think having the conversation opening up uh, the conversation and allowing uh, young women that are not in out of school yet to hear from women like myself. Um, just hired a new director of ticket sales and service, Austin Soulard, who's uh, a strong woman. Um, she came over from Legends and having her get in front of um, of, of these women and seeing like, hey, I, I'm director of, of ticket sales and, and groups. And also uh, our manager of membership sales is, um, uh, Alexis Stevens and yeah. you know she's she's been the manager for about two years now and so you know the new sales vertical is is women and so having women see that and hear that and hear from us and you know it's not as scary as you think it is like you you can do this um, I think is important it's very important and yeah I, I love that you have women in your pipeline your leadership pipeline that you're growing um, that's great I mean often to your point you see you know group sales and service have um, are sort of the past for women and sales and premium sales, let's say, are the past for men. Um, it's not intentional. It just sort of happens organically based on the environment and to your point, what we see. And so the representation right. play, plays a very big part in that, but also this encouragement of like, you can sell, like, you know, like tap into those those, um, those skills, those natural skills of connecting and engaging. Um, and I, that's a, that's a big one. I think it's the, the leadership, um, piece, no different than with Jason, with you saying you could be a VP, you not knowing it yourself. Like we need more, you know, um, you know, sort of positive, uh, reinforcement of what we see in people as well from our roles, um, in these roles, you know, in these positions of these teams, you know, for me, I think, you know, taking the sales path, um, one, you know, I get, I went into groups because that's where they put me. Um, so it wasn't an option. So sort of groups chose me. I didn't get to choose groups and I loved group sales. Um, but I think looking back, I would have loved to tackle season tickets. Like I think knowing my personality, I would have, I think I would have been good at it. Um, I did, I did sell a little bit and then went back to group sales later, but it was, it was one of those things. I think it was an opportunity, um, that I, I would have loved to, to handle. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that I had the same experience. Really? Like, Hey, you yeah. will be a group seller. Uh, service. That's, <laughs> that's how I yeah. got into service. Cause I remember uh, back at the time that I wanted to, to be, I I'd say one of the first women on the membership development team at that time. And I, I don't know if they had women in the past, but I know since I had been there, I had not seen any women on the team. And so that's where I thought I was going to go. That's what I wanted. And so back at that time, they did per surprise promotions. And um, on that day, I got surprised uh, and promoted to service. <laughs> and um, I think that we were like filming it at the time and it, it's got to be on tape somewhere, but I was so disappointed. I was so <laughs> disappointed and so unhappy to go to service. Like I was just like, this is not where I want to be. And, and I, I will say like in, in the defense of service, I didn't know what it really meant. And I think you kind of find that happens a lot in um, inside sales where, you know, they get what the, the sales team does because they're, they're essentially doing that. And, um, right. 
that role. And even with group sales, there's a, a time of the year where that's a part of their campaign is to sell groups, but service, they don't get much experience there. And so I didn't understand that being in service was about driving retention. And so that's when I, it took me, I got promoted in March and we didn't start renewals until August. And it really, I hated that role for that long. Um, and in March, I actually got to start our renewal campaign and that's what drove me. Like I loved, I had a $3 million book of business. I'll never forget it. And I was responsible for going out and hunting and renewing that. And, and that's what excited me. And I understood that the party planning was just kind of like the how, you know? Yeah. And like how, how you engage with people and, and create those relationships and um, uh, engagement matters. And it's, it's important when you're trying to renew them. But just like you, I was like put in service um more so than having a choice and to the credit of our leadership team they were actually trying to change service around at the time they wanted people that sold and service um so that was one of the reasons that they they wanted me there but i i, I still had that same experience you did and then just going back into like just a leadership role you know this has been quite a year right to to be in this new position um you know, facing COVID straight on, you know, your team making just a really strong run in the Western Conference Finals this year. Um, really great stuff. Um, what were some of your biggest takeaways from this past year as a leader? Um, leadership is hard. <laughs> that was there's my no, There's no playbook for leadership, right? No. And so when we were dealing with, like, like I said, we haven't been in the office for 18 months. And during that time, um, we had COVID, uh, which was, was scary and, and it was different and it affected all of us in, in one way or another. And we really didn't know what to expect. Um, so having that and, and, and being like kind of uprooted uh, from your offices and, and having to, to transition and be able to work from home and uh, being mentally okay with that. Um, and then also the social injustice piece, having that come up last summer um, there was no roadmap, no script for any of that. Um, as leaders, you didn't have past experiences to look back on, to draw from in, in trying to handle these situations. And that was hard. And so um, on, on both things, COVID and the social injustice affected everyone on the team, but in different ways. And so being able to navigate that, you know, and not um, addressing it the same with each person um, was important in showing empathy. I think that was probably one of the biggest things that I learned during this time is, is just, you know, being vulnerable and, and really kind of showing empathy uh, was important. Um, and I, we made it through. Uh, and I'm so grateful for that, but it was, it was really a tough experience. And, and those were, those were some huge challenges in, in my leadership career. Yeah, no, I, I can, I, yes, I share in them. I mean, those, those two uh, big components that we faced this year with the pandemic and everything that happened around social injustice and bringing all that to the forefront um, really changed to your point, like how we interacted with each other, how we um, communicated with each other in a way where, you know, you couldn't, you, you had to be invulnerable in those moments. And I think it's, in a way, I feel like that experience sort of like just strip back a few layers, um, be less, exactly. you know, be less than a position and title, but way more human 
Um, and I think it's going to make us all better leaders moving forward. I feel so much more, even though we were distant, in, like physically, I feel closer to my team. And I feel closer to the people, you know, than I did prior. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I kind of walked away from that experience. No, it totally does. Because again, to your point, you're, you're vulnerable throughout this process and you're, you're telling your team like, Hey, this is new for me. Um, and, but we're, and we're going to figure it out. Like, I don't have all the answers, but, but we'll figure it out and we'll figure it out together. And so then being able to see that human side of you, uh, does create a closer connection. So every episode, I like to discuss lifestyle. You know, as women, we get a lot of questions about work-life balance and how does it work? You know, we, we work busy hours and what have not. And how do you carve out time um, for the social aspects of our life and the things outside of work that make us happy? So curious for you, you know, how do you structure your lifestyle so that it works for you? Um, it, it's really nothing, um, nothing that's like set, I would say. Um, I, it's, it's flexible, I guess best way to describe it. It depends on the time of year. It depends on what's going on. Um, I, I really like to to kind of start and by working out. Like um, that's something that I, I really felt like I had to choose between uh, when we were in the office. So for me, I think I would say my lifestyle has changed now uh, post-COVID than it, than it was like pre-COVID or, mm -hmm. or, or even during it. Um, Pre-COVID, I'd be at work at between seven and seven thirty. Um, I'd be one of the first ones there in the office. It was quiet during that time. The reps wouldn't get there for like an hour, hour and a half. And so you, it was your time to get things done. Um, and I'm not a, a morning person. So going to the gym earlier than that, it just wasn't something that I made time for. Um, and then I would probably work until about six uh, or seven ish and, and then go home and, and wind down and and I try uh, not to to look at my laptop much. Um, if I had to, um, I would. I would try to shut it down by a certain time and and then I would also try to get caught up on things on the weekends. Like I would be the person who is emailing late at night sometimes or emailing things on the weekends and, and always saying like, "Hey, I have a response here, but it's an opportunity for me to get it off of my plate." Right. And so I don't really think I had much of a lifestyle um, outside of work, it was just a lot of work, um, or, or doing a lot of social things, uh, during that time, especially when you're new in an organization, you're trying to figure things out. I think during COVID and, and during these last 18 months, that's changed a lot. And I've taken a lot more time for myself. Self-care has been more important, um, where I make sure that I go to the gym in the morning, like I, I do a CrossFit class um, at 7am. And, you know, that means I'm not available until like 815. Um, and that's okay. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, you know, being able to go to the gym, because I feel better, my energy is better, my attitude is better, like, all of those things are so important. And they, they positively affect how I perform in my role. And so taking that time, it was hard for me at first, but now I, I'm unapologetic about it. Um, also, too, I, I try to shut down on Saturdays. And so, like, if, if I'm going to take a day, like, I'll shut down on Saturday. Um, and then on Sundays is where I'll kind of, like, get, you know, my manage up stuff done or try to plan out my week. And, and, and so definitely just having that one day that's yours is, is important. Uh, whether you get your nails done or you go to the beach or lay out by the pool, like, really just taking that time for yourself 
and I still like during the week, I probably could do better. Like I'll, I'll finish my meetings and kind of, uh, probably start cooking dinner around like six or six thirty, and then get back on a little bit after dinner, checking emails and, and things like that. So there's definitely some opportunities, but I definitely have, um, really implemented some self-care uh, for myself during this time. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. I, I'm terrible in this space. <laughs> Self-care is hard. Well, I, you know, it's funny, um, you know, similar to how you described pre-COVID for you, like, you know, I was, I was the same, I, you know, I would dive into work and suddenly emails and um, admittedly, I still do that. But, um, you know, it really wasn't until I had my children that required me to sort of step back and obviously have this other very important component of my life that, that it, you know, requires my time, but also is a thing I, I'm passionate about and want to spend time with my family. Um, but, but now I just feel like I have two jobs. Um, and it's in the, you know, thank God I love work. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> But it, it is it is it is important um, to have self care. You're absolutely right, and I'm gonna make a note right now, Deanna. Self care. <laughs> yes. <laughs> self care. Self care. Get on it. To finish things up here, you know, um, you know, what advice uh, would you like to leave with our listeners who are looking to build and grow their careers in this industry? The advice I would give would would probably be uh, just give yourself some grace. <laughs> that's that's something um I, I got this question yesterday as we were onboarding a new inside sales class and I got to have a leadership chat with them and they asked me what advice would I give my younger self and um I would give my younger self the advice of of you know just taking it easy on yourself a little bit give yourself some grace give yourself some credit um and I think that's important like uh I know there's listeners that want to get into the sports industry um, or that are already in the industry and just really want to grow. And I would just say patience is so important. Um, be patient and also just control the things that you can control. You bring the positive attitude, you bring the effort and the hustle every day, stay consistent with that, and you're going to see the results. And so as long as you keep putting up those results and, and the intangibles um, aligned with the culture of the organization, you are going to be successful. You don't have to push anyone. You don't have to ask for it every day or, you know, beg for promotions or, you know, try to use other things as leverage. Like when you hone in on your skill and, and really, you know, try to try to evaluate your craft and make it better, um, those things are, are going to make you successful along with, with being patient. So just give yourself some grace. I know we all get into that point of where it's like, oh, we're this age and we're only at this role or we should be here. Or I should be a manager by now or director by now. Um, you're doing good. Uh, give yourself some credit. Give yourself some grace. Continue to work hard and doing the things that you you um, know that are right to do. And, and I think it'll work out for you. And I, I know it, it sounds so simple. And so I hate kind of giving that advice um, uh, to people about just working hard, but I'm telling you, I, we're looking for hard workers every day, people who are gonna put in the effort and, and drive results and, and you won't be overlooked. That's great advice. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, the hard work will, will definitely speak for itself. <clears throat> and it's one of those things that it will be recognized, it will be noticed, and it will it will pay off. And nothing replaces hard work and hustle and passion and effort. And you just gotta ha want it more than the moment, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. 
And that's a wrap on episode 29. Thank you to Crystal for sharing her experiences and insights with all of us today. And as a thank you, our friends at Turnkey ZRG has purchased a one-year membership for her to join the Pro Sports Assembly, an industry member-led association helping advance equity and pro sports. Now, I invite you, as always, to follow us on Instagram at Women Blazers to stay connected and to engage with our Women Blazers network. And look forward to episode 30, featuring Molly Wardock-Folt, VP of Partnership Activation for Olympia Entertainment, Detroit Red Wings of the NHL, and Detroit Tigers of the MLB. Until next time, have a wonderful day and a great week.